Let me say a word of prayer, and uh, then we'll hear from our sister, Carmita. Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, we thank you uh, for um, what you've already done in these, these first 20 minutes of this service, Lord, meeting us in prayer, meeting us in your word, meeting us through music. Lord, I pray that you continue to, to, to meet us, Lord, continue to make your presence known to us, God, uh, as we hear from your word read to us by Carmita, as we hear <clears throat> that from your word being taught to us by Jonathan, and as we commune with one another at your table. Lord, we pray that in each of these experiences, God, that it would be you who, are, who is speaking, Lord. It is you who is touching us, Lord. It is you who we are meeting. So, Lord, may you be at the center of us all. We, we give this time to you. We, we pray these things together as a community in the name uh, of, of you, in your name, God. We pray these things. Amen. Amen. Carmita. Carmita, I think you are muted. Thank you, Chuck. Hello, everyone. Thank you, Pastor Jonathan, for being here with us. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, who put to death with the sword. When he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. He, this happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to the guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries stood guard at, this, at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap up your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, now I know without a doubt, that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who also called Mark, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said, and then he left for another place. In the morning, there was no small commotion about the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had thorough search, made, after Herod had a thorough search made for him and he did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. He had been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They now joined together and sought an audience with him. After securing the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, 
sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, this is the voice of a God, not of a man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with him John, also called Mark. The word of the Lord. Amen. Thanks be to God. Um, throughout this time, if I'm muted by accident or you can't hear me because the internet cuts out, post it in the chat and we'll fix it. But before we jump into this meaty, miraculous passage, um, I want to pray three oh. prayers, three prayers with you. Um, these are the prayers that have marked um, the work um, that I've been privileged to be able to do for the last 10 years. Um, one of them is the Lord's Prayer. The other is the Prayer of St. Francis. The other is a Franciscan benediction. Um, we very much become what we pray for. We orient our lives around what we worship. And so um, these prayers have shaped me. I pray them as an, as an offering to you and for us to gather around them um, and to enter into um, the chaos and nonsense and brokenness of the world with the light of Jesus together. Um, not the tradition where I come from, the Black church in the South, they say, well, leave all your stuff out there and then come in. Like, you don't have to do that. Um, you can bring all your mess to Jesus and have him sort it out so that we might flourish, work, rule, and create as he mandated in Genesis 1 and 2 together. So let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there's hatred, let me so love. Where there's injury, pardon. Where there's doubt, faith. Where there's despair, hope. When there is darkness, light, and when there is sadness, joy. O oh, divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, but to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it's in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it's in dying that we are born to eternal life. And God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, would you bless us with discomfort? at easy answers, half-truths, and superficial relationships that we might live deeper than our hearts. Would you bless us with tears to shed for those who suffer pain, rejection, hunger, and war, that we might reach out our hands to comfort them and turn their pain to joy. God, would you bless us with anger, that injustice, oppression, and exploitation of people and the planet that we might work for justice, freedom, and peace. And God, would you bless us with enough foolishness to believe that we can make a difference in the world, that we can do what others claim cannot be done to bring justice, kindness, and the gospel to every corner of creation, to our neighbors nearby and our neighbors worldwide, by the power of your spirit, to the glory of your name. You say amen. <clears throat> and so um, I... As Pastor Chuck said, um, my name is Jonathan. I am super grateful to be here with you. One, because I was on sabbatical for a year before the pandemic started. And so I hadn't preached or taught or led anything for a year. And then, then I went on paternity leave. So I was only preaching and teaching and leading to a newborn. And then the, the, the pandemic hit. So I was not preaching or teaching. And then, so when I get online with people and they ask me about Jesus, I just explode. So guys, 25 minutes, definitely not going to happen, but I'm going to try. And um, if you have to go, I totally understand. 
Um, but I, I think I think Jesus has a word for someone here today. Um, super grateful again for for one year generosity of sharing your time with me. Um, shout out to Lisa. I met you before I went on sabbatical. Thank you so much for your prayers and generosity. Um, one of the things that really bothers me about um, the pandemic is that the work that that I do, the way that Jesus, I think, has invited me to do it is it's very communal. So I'm regularly meeting with people in small groups before we go out and talk to lots of people. Um, and I met Lisa at one of those. And um, so she'll probably recognize some of what um, we're going to talk about. And then obviously with Pastor Chuck and what we do with keeping the faith and the people are pouring in and stuff is going out. And so um, some lies I don't want you to believe is that anything that I'm saying is special or unique to me um, because there's nothing new under the sun. And Jesus uses many, many instruments. And so I hope, uh, but I'm also not skirting around like, oh, wow, it's not me. There's this, there's this beautiful mixture that happens where he gets the glory and we benefit. And so I'm hoping that we can, we can do that. Um, this morning as we as we lift up the name of Jesus and try to pursue him together. Um, I'm going to share my screen. Um, and one of the things that also bothers me about um, sabbatical is like everything went online and um, the Zoom bus moved too fast for me to catch up. So if I do things that are not cool on Zoom, I apologize, but I'm going to I'm going to share my screen and um, and hopefully y'all will be able to see um, this PowerPoint, along with so many tabs, because the Lord is working in lots of places on my computer. Um, and so I titled this message, Rome, Juneteenth, and God's Sovereignty. And um, again, I, one of the things that I want us to, to, to really lean into um, is out of those three prayers, we orient ourselves around God. The, the Lord's Prayer does that. And then the prayer of St. Francis orients ourselves around others. And then the Franciscan benediction orients ourselves to the world. Um, and so for a lot of us, when we, when we come into any experience, uh, my invitation is for us to green line. Because I'm going to say things, even when I say Rome, Juneteenth, and God's sovereignty, things might come up. When I, I know for me, when throughout this week, it was very difficult to prepare for this message because I don't want to think about Juneteenth. I don't. I'm not interested in thinking about suffering and brokenness and trying to figure out how to be joyful. I'm not interested in like the commercialization of what, what's going to happen to this holiday because of capitalism and how our country works. I'm not, I'm, I'm angry that like I didn't learn about Juneteenth until a couple of years ago, right? Like it's because we don't teach that history on purpose. And then there's arguments about what that history is going to look like to be taught renewed, right? So, the, so there's stuff that comes up, but God is inviting me to green line, to openness, to trust, to acceptance, to adaptability. And when I run into these frustrations and misunderstandings and confusions, all these things, to continue to green line, because you're going to get angry today. You're going to be upset today. You're going to be frustrated today. You're going to be confused today. You're going to feel elated today, sometimes all at the same time, because that's what the resurrection does. We lament that Jesus had to die but we're so grateful that he was raised from the dead. We lament that it took so long for him to come, but yet we're so grateful that he did. And so all of, all of that together. So as we go through this, this content, this material that Jesus is somehow gonna do something beautiful in our hearts, minds, thoughts, dreams, lives with, I pray that we would green life together. Amen. So, in Acts 12, she read the whole passage, which I love when people read the entire passage because there's a lot of context there. And I'm going to go back to Acts 10 and pull us through to Acts 12. Um, but if we just take a second to either get a notebook or in the chat or somewhere to say, like, what stood out to you? Um, like, was it, was it Rhoda, this young girl who's like, hey, hey, Peter's there. And they're like, no, no, he's not. <laughs> right. Or was it that? Herod had the soldiers with Peter murdered, right? Like, was it that Peter didn't think this was real? He thought it was a dream. Was it that Jesus struck, or the Jesus, Father, Son, Spirit, how an angel struck down Herod for receiving worship? Like, what stood out to you? 
um, and then be able to identify um, like what some of your dominant emotions are as you read through this passage. And I acknowledge some of you might just be stuck on the psalm still and the prayer. Some of you might be stuck on what happened this week. You're like, I'm, I haven't even like fully arrived yet. <laughs> you know, so let's just, let's just acknowledge where we are emotionally because I am tempted when I don't acknowledge the stuff that's happening to just read whatever I want to into the text. And then I'm reading the Bible, the Bible isn't reading me. I am Lord over the scripture as opposed to Jesus being Lord over the scripture. So let's just acknowledge for a second where we're at. If we were in the same room with, you know, the 15, 20 people that are here, we would do this in real life. Cause I don't, I rarely preach from a pulpit, right? So it's like, we, we talk this stuff out. Um, but, but would you take a second to dive into what those, what your emotions are and what stood out to you? And so for me, I know that wasn't enough time. I totally recognize that. <laughs> um, but one of the two of the things that stood out to me um, is Peter, Peter gets free. Um, it, and it, it is, a, it is a, a powerful image in my mind to, be, to imagine a prayer meeting happening for a person who's being guarded by an oppressive, abusive, exploitative empire that is professional like really proficient in holding people captive and torturing them and disappearing them and abusing and violating them. Like we must understand and like demystify like how the Pax Romana was held in place. It was through violence. It was through abuse and exploitation. When this, you know, Tyre and Sidon are like upset, but they're like, yeah, but we can't really do anything because they're the reason we have food, right? Like we have to remember like, Peter gets free from this empire because of the power of God, completely unhurt, and walks up to a prayer meeting. And that the people inside don't even believe what they're praying for would happen. Because I don't think they were praying like, God, like, please take care of it. I think they were praying that he would get free. I think they were praying that he would be all right. I think they were praying that things would work out for him. And then he shows up and they don't believe it. We pray prayers we don't believe all the time, right? But God, I think, actually wants to do the things that we long for. So I think we should pray for them, right? <laughs> and then believe them. Like faith is the subject of things hoped for, evidence of things not seen. We lean in and pray bold prayers because God wants to do bold things in our times. Because exploitation and violence that was happening there needs bold prayers for God to do bold things. And if we're not praying for things, we probably won't be people who are prepared to respond with God when these things are happening. So like. When we pray, would we be ready to join with God for what he is doing and ready to receive what he's about to do? Because we pray because we think we believe he can do it. So I would lean into that. That's something that, that jumps out for me. And then an angel kills Herod. Like he, when Pastor Chuck emailed me and said, I'm going to preach at Acts 12, I was like, oh, uh, mm, yeah, because this boggles my mind. Could you imagine you are a marginalized person or a member of Rome. Let's like put those two things side by side. You're in the crowd, whether you are a new follower of Jesus, a Jewish person who's dedicated to the normal Jewish teaching, then there's this way that's happening. Like the first bifurcation when Antioch kind of happens in, in this mess of acts, like there's a separation between the people who are following the way and the people who are trying to hold fast to whatever sect of Judaism they are a part of. And then you're in the crowd and dude says like, Oh, you believe I'm a God? I'm not going to disagree with that. And an angel strikes him down. I've thought about that. Because there's other people who have claimed to be divine and who, like various political leaders since then, have claimed to be God. Various political leaders have been propped up to be God. And they haven't rejected worship, yet God struck down Herod. I'm confused by that. So it seems to be this thing that God can do things. And the question that emerges for me is, why doesn't he then do them all the time? 
there's tension that comes up for me as I go into this passage. And so we're going to go back a little bit. Again, the question that comes up for me when I look at Acts chapter 12 is, if he did it, then why doesn't he do it now? If he did it at one time, why does he do it all the time? Especially as I think about oppression and violence in the Roman Empire, especially as I think about abuse and exploitation in the Roman Empire, and I stretch that up into every single empire today because you cannot rule over people in the fallen world that we live in without violence and exploitation because we weren't actually meant to rule one another. You should think about that for a second. We go back to Genesis. What was our mandate, right? We were actually not meant to rule and lord over other people. We go back to the Israelites. We weren't actually meant to have a king. We're actually supposed to be in one relationship with God. And when I say one, I mean shalom. I mean, we're actually supposed to be what Jesus prayed for after he was arrested in the gospel of John. Like this, we would be one with God and one with another, just as he is one with God and wants to be one with us. Right, that high priestly prayer. So why and what's happening in Acts for us to get to this point where Peter's in prison, he gets free and an angel kills Herod, right? And so Acts, I wanna go back to Acts 10. I could go back further to like the gospel of Luke and pull us off, but that would take a really long time. So we're just gonna stop at 10. It's like, what was happening in Acts chapter 10? Acts chapter 10, I love it. I love it because what happens, I don't know if there are any people of Jewish descent on this call, but Acts 10 is where we, we get in, the, the Gentiles, like we get in, right? Women, get in. You get, you get filled with the spirit. P- servants, people, get in. Stuff is happening. Why? Because God, in his cosmic, um, and I say cosmic, K-O-S-M-I-C, like Greek word, cosmic, right? His purposes for all of creation, he by his divine order says to Cornelius, hey, you person, you Roman, you person who represents power and authority on this earth, you person, you agent of exploitation, abuse, and violence who have been praying prayers to get to me, trying to pursue me, trying to be generous and do all these things, I see you. Right? So if you're sitting there thinking to yourself and you think about Juneteenth and the only things that come up for you are guilt, because you're like, I benefit from the enslavement of millions of people, the land theft of millions of people, the abuse and violence of millions of people. God says, I see you and you get to come in. You think about that for a second. You don't get cast out because of the generational sin that you are a part of or the systemic system of abuse and violence that you are a part of. Cornelius gets welcomed in, even though he's part of the systemic abuse and violence that happens, even though when he gets up in the morning, he's a Roman citizen, puts on armor and commands squadrons of people, he gets in because he is trying to orient himself around this man who is also God named Jesus. God gives him a vision saying, I see you. And then he does the same thing for Peter who's miles and miles away, a three days walk journey in this place called, oh man, where was he at? Uh, he was with Simon. Somebody looked that up. I was going to say Joppa. It was a Joppa? Yes. All right. So he's in Joppa, right? And he's with this other dude and God shows up to him and he's like, hey, and I'm saying this because Peter leaves no room for misinterpretation in Acts chapter 11. He says what the vision meant. He doesn't say, you know what? It was, it was kind of about race and kind of about politics, and kind of about power, and kind of about class. He doesn't doesn't say, it's explicitly about that. He goes, God showed me that there is no wall between Jews and Gentiles. God showed me there's no wall between Roman citizens and people who are oppressed by the Romans. God showed me that when we all come and worship, he sees us, and he broke those things down, and Peter was like, hey, hey, this is real. And he says, these people right? Because Peter wasn't by himself. He had his servants with him. He had some disciples with him. And just like uh, Cornelius, Cornelius is not by himself. Cornelius brought his entire household. So that's men, that's women, that's lots of kinds of people because Rome was a multi-ethnic place at the time. So people of different classes, people of different ethnicities, people of different genders, they're being filled with the spirit 
And then Peter leaves no room for misinterpretation. He breaks it down and says that this is what the spirit of God is doing. And Peter does this in Acts 3 when he preaches his initial sermon after um, the, the Pentecost. Like Peter, he's actually beginning to interpret for people. So this, I think, is a gift because we, we actually, we don't have to guess about what the vision was. We don't have to guess about what its implications are, right? But when you start to do that, you start to upset systems and structures. You start to, you are going to be opposed. And Peter was opposed by his own brothers and sisters. And so we get to Acts 12 and Herod has a problem with what's happening. Why? Because when Jesus comes and when Jesus reigns and when Jesus moves and when Jesus speaks, the people of God actually do things. And so Herod heard about what was happening. Leaders heard about what's happening. So it's unrest. And so he said, I'm going to persecute these people because he actually is serving a different power. He has to maintain control over the Jews for Caesar. He has to maintain order, right? This law and order rhetoric is very, very old. Right. And so he wants to maintain this law in order to please the people to stay in power. Some of you see what I'm doing. Right. He said, I want to maintain order. I want to maintain that. Oh, and I see that you like that. I grabbed these two people. So that was a check. Let me get this person, too, so I can establish that I am doing a good job and remain in power. That's what, that's what Herod is doing. He's trying to amass power for himself, to stay in power. And he'll do that by any means necessary. Why? Because he fears the wrath of Caesar. He doesn't actually fear God. He fears Caesar. And so, brothers and sisters, I think God is doing some reorientation around power, around race, around class, around gender, around what some people might call dispensationalism, right? Like who gets priority, who doesn't? Like what is, what's, what's happening, right? And so I think we can translate that in today by a couple things. These, this is from our Emotionally Healthy Activist curriculum where we talk about the walls that are erected by colonization, the stratification and classification of people groups, right? And then the walls that Jesus is going to bring down. So we talk about gender and sexuality. What walls is God bringing down? There are people who believe that women cannot be filled with the Holy Spirit and teach. But in Acts 10, 11, and 12, you see that there are women playing pivotal roles in what's happening. Right? We, we start to see like, oh, there are people who are educated and there are people who are not that are actually valued by God as he pours out his spirit in Acts chapters one and two. Nationality, you can be documented, undocumented in Rome and like you actually can be filled with the kingdom of God. There are people who are reorienting themselves around the deity, like how they worship. They're, they're turning themselves away from the gods of Rome and toward the God of Israel, right? Who reveals himself in Jesus, right? Who now has poured out his spirit, this tribe God that we now call the Trinity, right? They, they're reorienting their political ideologies. They're not worshiping Rome anymore and pursuing this Pax Romana. And, and they're, they're actually saying, you know what? I'm not going to write Acts of Augustus Caesar and follow that. It's a real book, Acts of Augustus Caesar uh, by Virgil. I'm going to follow the Acts of the Apostles to, for the glory of Lord Jesus Christ. Like the, This is what was happening, which is why Acts has a title that it does. FYI, it was a political document, right? So the, the, he's, he's doing things around experiences. He's gonna take this person from that place and this person from this place. And I'm gonna take that person with that disability and that person that's differently able and that person with that background, put them in the same place. I'm gonna bless them where they're no matter if they're rich or poor or young or old or, or like from that sect of Jews or from that country of origin. Like I'm gonna bring those people together so they can actually send peace. Like there'll be shalom. That's what God is doing. When we do that, we disrupt the patterns and powers of the world. So Romans chapter 12, when Paul says, do not be conformed to the patterns of the world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, for this is how we test what God's good and perfect world, world, world is. And then he blows up that, blows up what it looks like to love people well. Then you get the Romans 13, which people like to pull out of context and talk about law and order, right? There's a whole lot of stuff that happens. So you know, see what I'm doing. So how do we pull that into 
today. We must be willing and able to turn categories of division and hatred into spaces of curiosity, compassion, and incarnate love. This undoes the effect of colonization that classifies and stratifies people as more or less valuable to God and one another based on race, gender, and class. This requires courage, radical interrogation, and confession of and repentance from scriptures, beliefs, values, and practices from our families of origin and the formative cultures that conflict with God's kingdom. That's a long slide. This is a PowerPoint foul. You don't put these in any words, but I want us to, to think about these things for a second. The gospel is, is doing these things all at once for them and for us. The walls come down and that causes problems. The walls come down and it causes problems. It upsets stuff in Peter's life. He's got to deal with the insecurity. Like, why did Paul oppose Peter in Galatians chapter two? Because Peter was insecure because his friends were talking about him. Because he's hanging out with the Gentiles. He's eating, like, but he's doing what Jesus did. But he's like, yeah, you know, I, I kind of want to do that. And Paul's like, no, no, no. Like, this is, you're missing the point. This is for everybody. And Peter's like, yeah, you know, I, I think you're right. You should be right. And then God shows up in Acts 10 with a vision saying, get your life together. I told you, you've got to go out to the Jews, the Gentiles, and to the ends of the earth, right? And so, so there's these walls that are beginning to come down. Joel 2 is going to happen. Like, God is going to pour out his spirit on the young and the old, the men and the women. Like, that happens at Pentecost. That happens in Cornelius' house, right? Like, things begin to be changed by the power of God. So we have to have curiosity some of us are not curious about other people myself included like i'm like with the pandemic that's happening i'm like do i really need to go talk to this stranger do i really need to build relationships with the con ed person who's coming to my house every month okay like yeah i just wanted to leave like thank you uh, you go to the meter i'll see you later right like do i really need to do I yes i need to do that right because God is changing something in me, taking the fear away, taking the anger away, taking the pain away so that I might be able to, to love more fully, right? Some of us are, are not interested in new documentaries. We don't want to go to this coffee shop instead of that one. We just want, we just want to do things that we've been doing. But what's amazing is Richard Rohr throughout this line this past week in a reading, it's like Jesus never said in scripture to worship him. He didn't reject it. He didn't say the word, but he said to come and follow him. And I thought that was really interesting. I was like, what? And then I looked at it and it's like, worship is described in the gospels. It's following him. But the, but the way that I think about worship is very different. I was like, what, God, what are you doing? So I'm, I'm thinking to myself, like, what would it look like for if people looked at my life and I saw worship as an orientation as opposed to a song that I sing, would they see these things happening? Like, would they see radical interrogation of my patterns and practices that I might orient myself around Jesus more fully? Would they see that? Would they see Jesus in my life? Not just how I sing. I love to sing. Songs are awesome. But like, would people be brought to faith if they actually witnessed the other 23 and a half hours of my life when I wasn't singing songs to God? And so let's just revisit this again. There might be some difference, some dissonance. I'm talking really fast because I would like to, to try and respect the time. All right. Like, where are you experiencing suspicion, fear, superiority, prejudice? Where do you feel like you want to isolate and rationalize? Where are you feeling tension? You can write those things down. Maybe you, you, you're lost. You're like, wait, wait, what did he say? I, I, you got a question, right? You can, you can, you can write that question down. But I want to invite you to green line. If you are redlining, I'm starting to redline because I'm like, we, I got, I got, I got to say some things I don't like myself, right? Like, how, how are we going to flourish and not just cope or get by with all of the tensions that are happening? I want to invite us to green line. Check in with yourself. See where you're at. Hear me when I say, 
Let's keep dreaming. So these two miraculous events happen. When I, when I look at this passage, that's what really stands out to me. And very quickly, they, we, we moved during the pandemic. We moved from one part of Queens to another part of Queens. And you know we had three or four generations in our house. And so we have a house to like have enough space for everybody. And so my daughter is four, her name's Maya. She's pretty great. She never had a backyard before. And so now we're in the backyard. And, they're like, ah, my, and then my, my mother-in-law is like, ah, and I'm like, what is it? And there's a dead sparrow because the sparrow had built a nest in the, the gutter and the, or the, I'm sorry, a vent and the vent, like it, the, it was like, wasn't quite deep enough. So there wasn't enough room for the sparrows to, to fledge, right? To, to like move around and things like that. That's a country word to fledge, like fledglings, right? They actually move and be into, you know, Y'all could go on National Geographic and figure out what I'm talking about later. But if you, if you ain't from down south, but like, you know, and so the bird fell out and it died. And I climbed up on the ladder and looked and I was like, oh, there's three more birds in this nest. And, and all of them are going to die. And the worst thing you can do for birds like that is take them out, by the way. Like it's, you, you can't feed them. You can't take care of them. Like you actually, it's just, it's just what's going to happen. And so, you know, I made a, with Maya, like I made a, a bed. And I said, Maya, now it's probably gonna, the death is gonna be more difficult. We're gonna prepare a place for them to like, you know, die. And so these sparrows died. And I thought about Matthew, thought about Matthew six, five, six, and seven. Like he takes care of the sparrows. I thought to myself, God, how are you gonna take care of these sparrows? Like, how are you gonna do that? And then this is when uh, when George Floyd's um, the verdict was coming out uh, around the Derek Chauvin case. Like, God, how how are you gonna how are you gonna take care of him? Like, how, how like what is that gonna look like? Um, I started asking myself, God, how did you how did you take care of Emmett Till? Like, how did you take care of? Um, the woman who looks like my mother-in-law, who's Chinese and Korean, was kicked in the stomach near our coffee shop on 43rd Street. Like how, like how are you doing that? Because Sandra Bland was in prison. And I'm sure when people, when her family didn't know where she was, they prayed for her that she would come back home and she didn't get to come back home. Like. God, how, how are you going to take care of like the Terrence Crutchers of the world? Like how, like, how are you going to do that? Because Peter got free. Like, no, and like, but, but God, like there are people praying for folks suffering under abuse and violence throughout history, reading this passage and praying fervently. And you do nothing. There are people who were born slaves in this country and died slaves in this country. Like thousands of people lynched, murdered, violated, praying prayers. If they got a real Bible and not the slave Bible, which had verses like this cut out of them, they would believe this stuff and pray these things. God, what does it even mean? And then pressing into God and being like, God, you killed an unjust leader. Like, it's clear what the Roman Empire was doing to the people they oppressed and marginalized to control and exploit them. And you killed them. And there are leaders, Father God, who are proclaiming to be divine, who are proclaiming that they're God, who are proclaiming to be agents of the kingdom. And God, you have not struck them down. What are you doing? It was really hard for me to prep for this. I'll try to write. I just go to sleep. I can't. I can't. I can't deal with it. 
I also have a small child, which means I lack much sleep. But it's I, I couldn't wrap my mind around it. And that's why therapy is awesome. Um, because what I started to think about is if God did everything I wanted him to do, then he would not be God. And so I, as I thought about Juneteenth and I thought about Father's Day and the tension that comes with that, as I think about the, the debates that are raging in our culture around like history and around like a common narrative and the heaps of guilt and shame that are put on people in power. And when I talk about power, I want us to think about the send peace thing, whether it be like, the false, like the binaries that get set up, downstream colonization, that men are greater than women, right? That rich are greater than poor, that married are better than divorced or single, that to be like, you, you lay these things out, educated, the more education is better, the more land and money and power is better. Like we start to build these stratifications. And so like that, if those walls all come down, why doesn't he just end it today? Like shut it down. Like you, he did it before. Why doesn't he do it now? Why does he do that for me? I see healing in scripture. My mom died. I see relationships redeemed in scripture. Why doesn't he do that for me and my sister? My sister's gone. Why doesn't he do what he did before for me now? Why doesn't he do that for us now? And so I think there's, there's joy in this passage because we see that God can and God did. But there's lament because he's not doing right now. And I think that there's an invitation to hold that tension as we press and follow Jesus into his life, his death, and resurrection that is now and not yet, is here and is coming, is near. The kingdom of God has come near and yet just out of reach. And so I landed on we don't follow Jesus because he does, that he does for us. We follow him because he did, he can, and he will. He is God, we are not. And that's good news. I don't know how that makes sense logically. But when I look at the arc of scripture, Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And Psalm 1 says, it looks like the wicked may prosper for a little while, right? But God is, he's calling me, to, calling us to something different. Because God is not my assistant. God is not my cosmic slot machine where I put my prayer coins in and then pull the lever and he gives me what I need. And God is not my secretary, like managing the serving of the of, of my of my schedule to make sure we you know we're just in lockstep with each other. But God is God, holy, righteous, just, loving, beautiful, amazing, slow to anger, abounding in love. It's like the Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end, the first and the last, the line of Judah, the rose of Sharon, the King of Kings, the Prince of Peace. That God that set the world into place, that sees me and sees you and says, you know what? Weeping may endure for a night, but joy is going to come in the morning. Job is gonna ask me these questions. I'm gonna ask him 63 more just to put him in his place, but also to talk with him because I am our father, big and amazing, but also super close willing to hold everything in place in all of creation 
before, now, and forever, and to speak individually to all of our situations with the full knowledge that all things are going to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That God that refuses to be managed by my small view of everything. So I think this passage is a gift for us, kind of like those like, uh, the first time I had one of the like Mexican lollipops, just like spicing the outside and sweet in the middle. It was a new flavor, I had to get used to it. But I was like, or Shaolong uh, Bao, like the soup dumplings. I'm like, I gotta make it, make it through this to get to the, to the good stuff in the middle. Or if any of y'all grew up where there's walnut trees, walnuts are super small. You have to crack the first shell and you have to crack the second shell and you get this little nut and it's delicious, but it's like inside this thing, right? There's good news in there for us. There's good news. And it may not be the way we want it to be, but it will be the way that he has ordained it and that is good. Because there are people who look like me in this country that will never know, will never know what it's like to own a home because of redlining. Never know what it's like to walk into a store and feel like they belong in that store. I will never know what it's like to live downstream of patriarchy. We'll never know what it's like to live on the opposite side of addiction and violence that was orchestrated by companies to make sure that that addiction and violence happened, right? Like I, 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 like this, the brokenness that I've experienced and that I see God sees. And there are places where he intervenes quite literally, just like this passage. And that is good. And he has intervened through Christ, making a way for us. And there's the promise of intervention in Revelation 18, particularly when we talk about injustice. And so I want to read um, Revelation 18. And so um, wherever you're at, if you want to um, sit down, if you want to stand up, if you want to close your eyes, um, whatever you uh, need to do to, to receive the promise that all injustice, all of it, all of it, some of you are like that too. I'm like, yes, all of it will end. All of it, all the brokenness. I want you to imagine the brokenness, because if we can't name the stuff, we cannot turn from it and we can't put Jesus over it. It'll continue to govern our lives. Like racism, white supremacy, greed, violence, patriarchy, capitalistic exploitation, like fear of the other, all of these things. Like the broken narratives in our families, like the oppressive stuff that we take in on, online every day, God is over all that stuff. And it will end in the name of Jesus. You have to name the things, to name them. I want you to, 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 to imagine those things as, as I read this passage. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven. He had great authority, and the earth was illuminated by his splendor. With a mighty voice, he shouted, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. They have become a dwelling place for demons and a haunt for every impure spirit a haunt for every unclean bird, a home for every unclean and detestable animal. For all the nations have drunk the maddening wine of their adulteries. The kings of the earth committed adultery with them. And, and the merchants of the earth grew rich 
from their excessive luxuries. Then I heard a voice from heaven say, come out of them. Come out of Babylon, my people. So that you will not share in their sin. So that you will not receive any of their plagues. For their sins are piled up to heaven. And God has remembered their crimes. Give back to them as she is given. Pay them back for what they have done. Pour a double portion for their cup. Give them as much torment and grief as the glory and luxury they receive. For in their heart they boast. I sit enthroned as Lord, as King, as Queen. I am not a widow. I am not a widower. I have lost nothing. I will never mourn. Therefore, in one day, all of the plagues will overtake them. Death, mourning, and famine. They will be consumed by fire, for mighty is the Lord who judges them. When the kings of the earth who committed adultery with them and shared in their luxury saw the smoke of them burning, they will weep and mourn over her. Terrified at that moment, they will stand afar off and cry, woe, woe to you, great city, you mighty city of Babylon. In one hour, your doom has come. The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over it because no one can buy their cargo anymore. Cargoes of gold, silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen, purple, silk, and scarlet cloth, every type of citron wood, and articles of every kind of ivory and costly wood, bronze, iron, marble, cargoes of cinnamon and spice and incense and myrrh and frankincense and wine and olive oil of fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and carriages and human beings sold as slaves. They will say, the fruit you longed for is gone from you. All your luxury and splendor have vanished, never to be recovered. The merchants who sold these things and gained their wealth from them will stand far off, terrified at the torment. They will weep and mourn and cry out, woe, woe to you, the great city, dressed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, and glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls in one hour. Such great wealth has been brought to ruin. Every sea captain and all who travel by ship, the sailors and all who earn a living by the sea, from the sea, will stand afar off when they see the smoke of them burning. The sailors, the captains, they will proclaim, was there ever a city like this great city? They will throw dust on their heads and with weeping and mourning cry out, woe, woe to you, great city, where all who had ships on the sea became rich through your wealth. In one hour, you have been brought to ruin, O Babylon. Rejoice over them, you heavens. Rejoice, you people of God. Rejoice, apostles and prophets, for the Lord God has judged Babylon with the judgment they impose on you. Then a mighty angel picked up a boulder the size of a large millstone and threw it into the sea and said, with such violence, the great city of Babylon will be thrown down, never to be found again. The music of the harpists and musicians and pipers and trumpeters will never be heard in you again. No worker of any trade will be found in you ever again. The sound of a millstone will never be heard in you again. The light of a lamp will never shine in you again. The voice of the bridegroom and bride will never be heard in you again. The, your merchants were the world's important people. By your spell, all the nations were led astray. And in their blood, inside of Babylon, was found the blood of prophets and of God's holy people of all who had ever been slaughtered on the earth. 
after this, I heard what sounded like a great roar, a multitude in heaven shouting, hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God for true and just are his judgments. Hallelujah, salvation and glory for true and just are his judgments. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God for true and just are his judgments. Friends, the same God that liberated Peter from prison, same God that struck down Herod, can set us free. And he will set us free. So we follow him. Same God who broke the powers of sin and injustice, the systems and the structures that abused and violated, can do that again and will do it ultimately. And the shalom that he intended. Father, Son, Spirit, that they intended will come to pass and is coming. And we can receive it. May God bless you. May he keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and fill you with peace. Because the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob does not sleep sees and he knows and he can and he will work for all things to be made new. God bless y'all. Thank you so much for allowing me to be with you today. Amen, Jonathan. Thank you. Thank you for that word. Um, whew, friends, um, we move into a time of our time of communion now. And uh, as I was hearing Jonathan, I was I, I thought of a something I read yesterday. Simple. I mean, we've heard different variations of it, but it, it was along the lines of we don't work to build a more just world just so that we can see it, but so that future generations can see it because we may not see it in our time. And I think that's a true and good word, regardless of what you believe. Right. That's I think that is just true and good. Uh, for all mankind to follow. And yet what Jonathan reminded me of and remind reminds all of us of is that this true and just world that we are fighting for will ultimately come not because of the work that we do, but because of who God is and who Jesus is. And he's going to use us as agents. He's going to use us as ambassadors. But ultimately this, this is God doing this. And just as Jonathan said, we don't follow Jesus because he does. We follow him because he did and because he can and because he will. And we're not God. And that is good news. And we are reminded of all of those things when we come to the table, because this table is a table that reminds us of who God is, who Jesus is, who Jesus was, what Jesus did. But it reminds us of who Jesus is today as well that he is not only the resurrected Christ, but he is the ascended Christ, the Christ who continues to reign in our lives today at this moment. And it also compels us and pushes us to look forward at who Jesus promises to be. And as Jonathan reads Revelation, and as you read the following few chapters to end the Bible, we are reminded that this is a Jesus who promises to return for a second advent, a second incarnation when Christ will come again. And when we see justice wipe away injustice, when we see peace wipe away pain and hurt and mourning. And so until that day comes, we gather at this table each and every week to remind ourselves of who this God is and who we are not. So as you think of all of these things that Jonathan shared, so many truths um, as you think about what this table means, this table of reconciliation, this table of peace, 
Um, we're going to take a moment of silence as we do each week to offer up our own repentance <clears throat> for where we do try to be God, our own repentance for where we do step back from reconciliation because it's too tough, because it's too uncomfortable to offer up our own prayers, whatever they might be, to sit with God as we prepare for this table. So in this brief moment of silence, sit with God, be with God, and then we will commune with God and with one another. <clears throat> 